Thank you for watching today. I pray that the message you're about to hear will empower you to use your voice, help change the way you think, and refresh your spirit. If you'd like to follow along with Pastor's Notes, you can find them on the on-demand page of walkingbyfaith.tv or on our app, where you can also submit a prayer request. Today, we're starting a new series, The Law of Faith. Just like the world has laws like the law of gravity and the law of motion, the spiritual realm also has laws. It's not up to God who gets healed or saved. He doesn't take that personal. It's up to you. The Bible says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Let's jump right into today's message. It's up to you. Well, today I'm really excited to share with you a message that I have been mulling over for probably a year, uh, and I've simply entitled this, The Law of Faith. The Law of Faith. Now, to begin with, I'd, I'd like to go to Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 12, where it's talking about redemption, what Jesus has done for us. And it says, He went once for all into the Holy of Holies, of heaven. Now, when the children of Israel came out of Egypt, Moses went up and spent 40 days with God on Mount Sinai. And while he was there, God gave him instructions on how to build a tabernacle. In fact, God told him, make it exactly the way that I tell you. Now, the reason we find in the New Testament is because it was a copy of a tabernacle that God has in heaven. And what would happen in the Old Testament, once a year, on the Day of Atonement, the high priest would go in to the holiest part of that tabernacle called the Holy of Holies. Now, the only thing in there, this big square room, there's one thing in it, and it's the Ark of the Covenant, which represents the presence of God. In fact, God said, that's where my presence will be. That's where I'll meet with you. And it kind of really is a picture of where our lives are supposed to go. How I many of you know we're supposed to seek first? the kingdom of God. He is supposed to be number one in our life. When, everything, when we peel it all back, it's our relationship with God. But the high priest would go in on the Day of Atonement, this is in Leviticus 16, and he would go in with blood, and he would sprinkle that blood seven times in front of and on the mercy seat, the top of the Ark of the Covenant, where God's presence was. And he would atone for the sins of the people. But the Bible tells us that the blood of a bull and a goat couldn't take away sin. So the next year he had to do it again, and the next year again, and the next year again. It says that he, Jesus, went once for all into the holy of holies in heaven, not by virtue of the blood of goats and calves by which to make reconciliation between God and man, but his own blood. Jesus took his blood and put it on that mercy seat. Having found and secured a complete redemption and an everlasting release. Notice those two phrases, complete redemption and everlasting release. Now, when the Bible says that Jesus obtained for us a complete redemption, what it means is this, there is nothing left out. Everything is covered. God thought of everything. Thing. You or I will never go to God and say, God, this is my problem. And God go, what are we going to do? I, we never thought of that. 
No, it was covered. Right? This is a complete redemption. You say, yeah, but what about this? It's covered. But what about that? It's covered. What about it's covered? It is complete. God did not overlook anything, and it secured an everlasting release. That means the release that was in the first century is for the 21st century. That means that what you get one day, you don't need to lose and re-get later. That, That it is an everlasting release. But Jesus purchased a complete redemption. Now, we can can look in Peter and see the same redemption talked about, and it brings it in, just just mentions it a little bit differently. And in 2 Peter 1, verse 3, it says, as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Now, notice, first of all, he has given, past tense. This isn't something we got to talk God into. So often we go to God and we think we got to get God on our side, get God to understand our situation, talk God into doing something for us. But the truth is, he has given. He has done everything that's already needed. Now, it says all things that pertain to life, that's your natural life, and godliness, that's your spiritual life. So it's just not spiritual things. It's natural things and spiritual things. And they've already been provided for, right? And it's through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. In other words, if we don't know about these things, we're not going to be receiving them. We have to have an understanding. The Bible says, my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. But he secured a complete redemption, an everlasting release. In other words, Jesus does not need to come back and do something again, like the priests in the Old Testament had to go back every year. Jesus did it once. And it is a complete redemption, and it is everlasting. It is eternal. It is done. That's why when Jesus was finished, the Bible says he sat down, Hebrews 10, 12. But this man, speaking of Jesus, after he had offered one sacrifice for sin forever, sat down at the right hand of God. Now, Jesus did not sit down because he was tired. Jesus didn't go, oh man, I just whipped the devil. I just bet you to crawl. I've been, I've been raised from the dead and I've defeated the devil. I'm so worn out. I'm going to sit down and rest. No, the reason Jesus sat down is because he was finished. He had secured a complete redemption. He had defeated the devil at his own game. So we don't need to go to God and beg God to do something and cry and say, oh God, look at my problems, oh, this is going wrong, and God, look at this. God, please, please, please. God wants to move on your behalf more than you want God to move on your behalf. And everything that was needed for him to do it, everything that has to do with your natural life and your spiritual life, both, already taken care of. He's provided all things that pertain to our life and our godliness. So we don't need to talk God into it. But so often what we don't understand is that we have a part. 
One of the Old Testament prophets in, in Psalms 84 said it this way. As they passed through the valley of Baca, I mentioned this a few weeks ago, that Baca really means the valley of weeping. This is the time when everything seems to be going upside down. It says they, that's we, that's us, make it a spring. We make it a spring. The rain also covers it with pools, and they go from strength to strength. The New Testament says it this way, from faith to faith. In other words, God will never design a plan for your life that does not require faith. The plan that God has for you is going to require faith. And you go from faith to faith. In other words, in order for you or I to fulfill our destiny, to go all the way to the end, we are going to need more faith than what we started out with. We go from faith to faith. Our faith needs to keep on growing. So God has done his part. Jesus sat down. Now, what that means is the next person that needs to move or the next one that needs to move is us. It's like playing checkers. If you're playing checkers, I play checkers sometimes with my grandkids. When I move, then it's their move. See, God has moved, and now it is our move. He has provided, but what we need to do is we need to respond in faith. The Bible tells us that we are saved by grace through faith. Now, grace is what God has done for us that we did not deserve. And how many of you know we didn't deserve anything? But he's done everything, all things that pertain to life and godliness, not because we deserved it. In fact, the Bible says, while we were yet enemies, Christ died for us. That's grace. God has provided it for us. But it, we receive it through faith. We need to respond to what God has done for us. And so often we're simply thinking, well, if it's God's will, it'll happen. Whatever God wants, that's what I want. See, but the Bible does not teach that sort of pacifism at all. Uh, Jesus is up on the Mount of Transfiguration. He's there with Peter, James, and John. Moses and Elijah appear, a talk with Jesus, and they're starting to come down the mountain. Well, nine of Jesus' disciples are down on the bottom of the mountain. And a man comes whose son, if you read the description, it looks like maybe he had some sort of epilepsy because he said he often, he takes him and he falls down in fire and he falls down in water. It looks like he, he's maybe an epileptic and they, the man brings this boy to Jesus' disciples and they are unable to bring relief or healing to this boy. So when Jesus comes down, Jesus said, what are you talking about? And the first one to respond is this man. And he says, I brought my, my, my son to your disciples, but, but they couldn't help him. And he says, Jesus, if you can do anything, please do something. Help us. Now, what this man is doing is he's saying, Jesus, here's my son. Take care of my problem. Now, Jesus' response is, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. This man is trying to put everything off on Jesus, like we try to put everything off on God and just say, God, do something. And God's like, I already did something. And now you need to respond to what I've done. And so the man says, well, Jesus, 
help me, Jesus said, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. And the man responds. And what he says is so interesting. He says, I do believe. If he didn't have some faith, he would have never have come, would he? He had some faith. He says, I do believe, but help thou my unbelief. So here's what some people don't get. You can have belief and unbelief both. Because this guy had some belief, but he also had some unbelief. Now, our problem is the unbelief. So often what happens, we have more unbelief than we have belief, and our unbelief cancels out our belief. But it's not that we don't believe. It's just that there's also some unbelief. So he says, I do believe. Help thou my unbelief. So Jesus did not just take and say, okay, it's all up to me. He told the man, you need to do some believing. And the truth is that as New Testament believers, we can and should and will overcome. Revelation 12, 11 says, and they, that's us, overcome him, that's the devil, by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. The Bible tells us, submit to God, resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. So often, we simply assume a posture of passivity and assume, well, whatever God wants to happen is going to happen. But we never resist. We, we never recognize we have an enemy of our soul. Peter said, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, goes about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him, steadfast in faith. Romans 3, 27. So that was the introduction. Here's the, here we go. Where is boasting then? It is excluded. By what law of works? No, but by the law of faith. The law of of faith. The supernatural realm is governed by laws, just like the natural realm is governed by laws. Uh, if, if I take this bottle of water and I let go a hundred times, how many times will it fall? A hundred. Now, if it only fell 99 times and one time it floated, then it would just be a phenomenon. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't work. But because it's every time, it is a law. And just like in the natural realm, we have laws. The spiritual realm is governed by laws. And I want to just talk a little bit today about the law of faith. See, in our thinking, we go to God and we have a prayer petition. And we think God looks at us and says, well, are you holy enough? Did you pray enough? Did you give enough? Have you been to church enough? And we think, well, God like looks at us and evaluates us in every situation. And if we don't see the answer that we were anticipating, we'll then think we think, well, I just didn't measure up or it wasn't the will of God or something went wrong. It's amazing how much stuff we blame God for that God has nothing to do with at all. I remember... Well, this is, this is probably 30 years ago. There was a uh, young couple in, in church, and they had a child that was born. 
and, and lived only for a few moments. And uh, I did not officiate at the funeral, but I went to the funeral and the, the minister that was officiating, he said, now, I, I, the reason that this child died was because God knew that this child was going to grow up and be real rebellious and do a lot of terrible things. So God just killed him and took him while he was still nice and innocent. And I, I'm, I mean, I did not, but I wanted to stand up and shout. Uh-huh. You see, you've been to funerals and, and heard things like, well, God needed them in heaven. Well, God wanted another angel. And by the way, you don't die and turn into an angel. I mean, I, I literally, I heard this. I was, I was at a funeral and the, guy, the, the pastor said, well, God needed another flower in heaven and, and, and took him. And, and people just assume, well, you know, it was just God's will. Everything that happens is God's will. And you're just, you just live a certain amount of time. You know, you, you heard about the person who said, uh, you, you know, we're going to fly in a plane for the first time. And, and uh, I'm just concerned, you know, uh, but what if I die? And, and the guy said, well, you know, we got the pilot up there. Don't worry about it. And he said, well, what if it's his turn to die? <laughs> you know, what if it's his time? You know, like, like there's just a certain time. And when it's a certain time, then, you know, you're going to die. Ecclesiastes says this. It says, don't be overly wicked nor foolish. Least you die before your time. Least you die before your time. It's, it's not saying there's just a certain amount of time and then you're going to die. When we talk about this, usually people go to Psalms 90. And this is Moses, one of Moses' Psalms. Uh, the children of Israel have rebelled against God. And they said, we, we can't go in to the promised land. It'd be better for us to die in the desert. So God said, all right, every one of you from 20 years old and above, you're going to die in the desert. And then Moses wrote this song. He says, the days of our lives are 70 years, or if by reason of strength, they're 80 years. He says, for soon we're cut off and we fly away. He's saying there, 70, or if by reason of strength, he says, even here, he says, you could, you could lengthen the time that you were going to live. But uh, this whole, this psalm was written to the people that had rebelled against God, were forced out into the desert, and they were supposed to die. The actual last thing God ever said about how old people can be is in Genesis chapter 6 and verse 3. And he says, for yet man's days shall be 120 years. In fact, Moses, who wrote this, lived to be a hundred and... 20. So here's my, my word for you. Shoot high. Shoot high. All right. Shoot for the moon. Shoot high. But don't just say, oh, well, you know, God already got it planned. And I'm going to die when I'm whatever years old. That is not true. That is not biblical. In fact, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14 says about Jesus that through his death, he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil. Who had the power of death? The devil. The devil. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 15, the Bible says the last enemy that will be defeated is death. Death is not a friend. Death is an enemy. And it was, the Bible says that Jesus came to take authority from him who has the power of death. That is the devil. So God doesn't control the way we think, who gets healed, who gets saved, who gets delivered, but it is the law 
of faith. God created laws, and they're not personal. Uh, if if uh, we walk out of here and we see a, a power line and a bird sitting on that power line, and the, the current's running right through there, maybe tens of thousands of volts of electricity, and a bird just sits there. But if, if, uh, if you were to stand on the ground and grab that line, how many of you know you'd be fried? Now, it's not that the electricity went, oh, I don't like them. I think I'm going to fry them. How many of you know it was a law of electricity? There was a law that was at work. Now, it's the same way in the spiritual realm. Or a plane crash would be a really good example. Uh, June, the, June the 2nd, that's my birthday, by the way, but 2016, one of the Blue Angels crashed. Now, when the, it crashed, of course, the pilot was flying that 16, and, and unfortunately, he was instantly killed. Now, they went and did an investigation. Both the military and the FAA investigated. Now, this is what they didn't say. Gravity spiked and pulled it down. There was a spike in gravity, and a plane crashed. And they didn't say, there, temporarily, there was a suspension of the laws of lift and thrust. Because those are, how many know gravity is a natural law? Lift and thrust, they're natural laws. And they didn't say there was a, a suspension in those laws or a spike in gravity. They simply said, look, it was pilot air. Here's what he did. Here's what he should have done. The laws work all the time, the natural laws. But so do the spiritual laws. And this is why many people try to make a deal with God. Because they think it's personal. They think God is personally checking them out. But remember, listen, you are saved by grace. Grace simply means it's what you don't deserve. It doesn't mean God checked you out and said, oh, they're good. I'm going to save them. No, 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 no. This is, this is totally impersonal. So people, they, they come to God and they say, oh, God, if you will do this, then I'll go to church. If you'll do this, then I'll do that. And they try to make a deal with God, assuming that, that what's happening is God is evaluating their situation. Um, God doesn't do it based on your behavior. He does it based on Jesus, Jesus' behavior. That's why it says, for example, in John 14, and whatever you ask in my name, I will do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, he said, I'll do it. John 16, in that day, you will ask me nothing. Most assuredly, I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, I will do it. And notice it says Jesus' name. You know what we do? I've heard so many people pray this way. I, 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 I try not to laugh when they do, but, but they'll pray a prayer, and then they say, for Jesus' sake. Look, you cannot con God. It is not for Jesus' sake. It's for your sake. But we kind of think, well, God is, won't do it for me. He won't do it for me, but he'll do it for Jesus. And so I'm going to say for Jesus' sake. It's not for Jesus' sake. It's Jesus' name. It's his name. In other words, Jesus is saying, I'm giving you the, the, the authority in my name. You can use my name. And it's the same as if I was there personally. God is not rejecting you. God is not looking to see if you are holy enough because none of us are holy enough. 
That's why it's all by grace. It's because we, we receive what we do not deserve. Another part that we, we sometimes do when it comes to prayer, and this is kind of like a, a cop-out, but we'll pray, and let's just say we're praying for somebody who's ill, and we say, Lord, heal them if it be thy will. If it be thy will. Now, literally, that is like the biggest cop-out ever. It's like a badge of unbelief. Saying, I, I, I don't really believe, I don't know, but faith begins where the will of God is known. Faith begins where the will of God is known. You say, well, what, what, should I, what should I be thinking then? What should I be knowing? Well, Psalms 103 says he forgives all your iniquities and he heals all of your diseases. That his name is, I am the Lord that healeth thee. That the New Testament says that he himself bore our sicknesses, carried our diseases, and by his stripes we were healed. See, we need to know the will of God. Now, the best way, of course, it's the word, and to look at Jesus. In Hebrews chapter 1, it says he is the sole expression of the glory of God, the light being, the outring or radiance of his, of the divine. Another translation says he's a perfect mirror image of God. Now, I don't know about you, but there are parts in the Old Testament that I read and I'm kind of like, I don't get it. Anybody here ever read some of those and you're kind of like, whoa, I don't get that. Well, understand this. Everything that happened there was not the will of God. Example, the Pharisees come to Jesus and they're talking about divorcing their wives for any reason. Jesus said, Moses because of the hardness of your hearts permitted you to divorce your wives. But in the beginning, it was not so. He said, it wasn't the will of God, but yet it was permitted. Elijah the prophet has the king upset and the king sends two different captains of 50 with their 50. And Elijah says, if I'm a man of God, may fire fall from heaven and consume him. And fire falls from heaven and consumes the hundred men plus their two leaders. In the New Testament, Jesus' disciples say to Jesus, when he wasn't being received in a certain town, he said, shall we call down fire from heaven like Elijah? This is what Jesus said, listen. He says, you do not know what spirit you're of. He said, that's not the right spirit. You see, it happened in the Old Testament, but it wasn't the right thing to happen. But what we can always do is look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. He is the exact representation of God's nature, of God's character. He is the perfect imprint, the very image of God's nature. So, so there may be things that, that you don't understand, that I don't understand, but what we can do is we can look at Jesus. Now, in Matthew 11, in verse 12, it says, From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of God suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. The kingdom of God suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. You know, salvation, when, when we receive Jesus, we think, well, I'm going to heaven. And that's true. But from God's perspective, you become a part of the kingdom of God. 
You become a part of the kingdom. Jesus' message when he came was, repent for the kingdom of God is here. When he arose from the dead and spent 40 days with his disciples, the Bible says he talked to them of things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Now, notice the kingdom of God suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. Why is that? Well, Jesus actually said, fear not, little flock, for your father desires to give you the kingdom. But he also said that the kingdom of God suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. As New Testament Christians, as part of the kingdom of God, we need to recognize we have an enemy. Peter said, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, goes about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him, steadfast in the faith. We will never receive all that God wants for us in the kingdom of God if we just sit back passively and think, well, everything that comes is the will of God. In fact, in Mark chapter 6 and verse 5, Jesus is in Nazareth. It says, Now he could do no mighty work there, except he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. E.W. Vaughn's expository of New Testament words brings out the fact that these people that were healed had very minor ailments. Matthew talks about the same situation in Nazareth and says because of their unbelief. Think about this. Jesus had 100% faith, was 100% in the will of God, but he could not do it any mighty works because of their unbelief. Their unbelief, their doubt, kept the power of God from from flowing. Jesus could not overcome their unbelief. And if Jesus couldn't overcome their unbelief, how many of you know you and I cannot overcome somebody else's unbelief? It wasn't that God chose not to heal them. It wasn't that God had a bad day. It was because there was unbelief. Now, let me close in in Mark chapter 5 real quickly. It says, Now a certain woman had a flow of blood for 12 years, had suffered many things from many physicians. She spent all that she had, was no better, but rather grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. Notice it says, when she heard. One of the principles or laws of faith is that faith comes by Hearing. Faith comes by hearing. It is so important that we hear the right things. Jesus said that because of the tradition of men, the word of God is made of no effect. You know, if you're hearing a bunch of unbelief and then some faith, and then unbelief and then faith, that doubt is going to be there to undo the belief that you have. But she heard, she heard the word of God, she heard Jesus was healing. And she came behind in the crowd and touched him. For she said, if only I may touch his clothes, I will be made well. For she said, when it comes to the law of faith, one of the main principles of the law of faith is that we speak what we believe. Notice this in Hebrews 11. This is verse 3. Faith empowers us to see that the universe was created and beautifully coordinated by the power of God's words. He spoke, and the invisible realm gave birth to all that is seen. So God spoke his spoke words, and the invisible realm, the spiritual realm, 
gave birth or substance to everything that we've seen. So literally everything that is created, listen, the parent force was words. The parent force to everything that's seen was words that were spoken. Now, in addition, Hebrews 1 tells us that he holds all things together by the word of his power. Not only was the parent force words, but all things are held together by words. And listen, everything in this universe will respond to words, to words. And she said, if I just touch the hem of his garment, I will be made well. And immediately the fountain of her blood was dried up. She felt in her body. She was healed of the affliction. Jesus immediately knowing in himself that power had gone out of him. He turned around in the crowd and said, who touched my clothes? And his disciples said, you see the multitude thronging you. And you say, who touched me? Obviously there's hundreds, if not thousand people around Jesus. He's being touched all the time, but only one person touched in faith. But here's what I want you to know. Jesus turned around and said, who touched me? Did Jesus know who touched him? No, he didn't know. Now, the Bible says that Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. See, when Jesus was born, the Bible says he was worshiped as Christ the Lord. He was God in the flesh. And I, I don't think anybody understands it, but he was 100% God, but he was also 100% man. Jesus had to learn how to walk. He had to learn how to eat. He had to learn how to talk because of his human side. Now here, he did not know who touched him. And he turned around and said, who is it that touched me? And he's trying to figure out who it is. And the disciples are like, everybody's touching you. He looked around to see who had done this thing, but the woman fearing and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. Now, notice it is your faith that made you well. Not Jesus's faith. It was her faith. It wasn't that Jesus evaluated the situation and said, she's worthy. Because how many of you know none of us are worthy because it's all by grace and we receive it through faith. Nobody deserves anything except eternal separation from God. But Jesus secured a complete redemption, and an everlasting release. He did that by grace, but we receive it by faith. And we need to recognize that God is not like seeing, did you pray enough? Did you give enough? Did you read your Bible enough? Did you go to church enough? And we try to decide ourselves whether we're worthy. Listen, you're not worthy. I'm not worthy. Nobody's worthy. Nobody's worthy. It's all by grace. It's what we don't deserve, but we receive it when we believe it. And that the Bible calls the law of faith. So would you please bow your heads for just a moment? And I know that there's, there's people here that you've lived for God for decades, but there's other people that you're not right with God. Some of you, you're away from the Lord. In 2 Corinthians, it says, God was in Christ, restoring the world to himself no longer counting men's sins against them, but blotting them out. 
So we tend to look at ourselves and think, I'm not worthy. I'm not right with God. But God's not, you're, you're, God's not looking at your sins. The Bible says he is not holding your sins against you. That Jesus came and took sin out of the way. He paid for your sin. And what God wants you to do is to receive that forgiveness and surrender your life to Jesus. Paul goes on and says, God is using us to speak to you. I believe God's using me to speak to you right now. Paul said, we beg you as though Christ himself were pleading with you. Receive the love he offers. Be reconciled to God. Receive that forgiveness that God offers you. Surrender your life to him. And if you're listening today or you're here and you say, I'm not right with God or I'm away from God, I want to be right with God. I want to receive that forgiveness. I want to surrender my life to Jesus today. I'm going to ask everybody to pray this prayer out loud. To say, oh God, I believe Jesus died on the cross. I believe his blood paid for my sins. I believe he rose again. I give him all of my heart and all of my life. I'm holding nothing back. Jesus is my king. He is my Lord. And I'm going to live for him. I receive the forgiveness Jesus purchased for me. And I thank you. I'm forgiven. My past is gone. And I'm a part of your family today and forever. In Jesus' name, amen. If you just prayed that prayer with Pastor Dwayne from your heart, God heard your prayer. Congrats on making one of the best decisions of your life. Pastor Dwayne has written a book full of bullet points to help you continue to grow spiritually. We want to give you this book free of charge. Log on to walkingbyfaith.tv and request a copy of this book be mailed to you, or you can download it right there instantly. Plus, it's also available on our app. It's absolutely free and a great resource for you to have. Today's program is available on Roku and Amazon Fire TV by searching Walking by Faith. Or you can check out our app where you can download any message for easy offline listening. Walking by Faith is used to change lives all around the world, on and off the air. We would love for you to partner with us and help make a difference in others' lives by logging on to walkingbyfaith.tv. If you are in need of prayer or God is doing amazing things in your life, we would love to connect with you. Contact us by phone, email, or through our app. You can also find us on your favorite social platform by searching WBF TV. Have a wonderful week. We'll see you again next time.